our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Nelson Mandela once said, A good heart and a good head always are formidable combination. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. You might say that ours is a long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 19 years. And I'm Jonathan, and that long-term different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 982nd broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. And we figured it was time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. And folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact friendly format and we welcome your thoughts via email website messages facebook and our chat board so let's get started jonathan what's on the table for this day well rick our question is how does god touch your heart and our theme text is found in john chapter 6 verse 44 no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and i will raise him up on the last day all right, so the question, how does God touch your heart? You know, we, we would all like to think that we are special in some way before God. We want to be sure of his love for us and his guiding hand in our lives. Now, for most of us, being special translates into a feeling, an emotional response that produces a sense of security. But is that all there is to being special? For the Christian, at least, there is much more to it. We know that everyone is not called to follow Jesus, and we also know that according to the Bible, God does specifically call some to follow. So, how does this work? How does God get your attention and then touch your heart and mind? What makes us want to respond to God, and what, makes, what might make us shy away from responding to Him? Is it easy to recognize when God is seeking us out and trying to touch our hearts. So, Jonathan, a very interesting and actually a very deep subject, and as it's always our objective with each subject, we choose to approach it in a biblical and very relevant, practical way. We search out the context of the scriptures that we cite, try and find their true meaning, and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to give you folks something to really think about. So, we needed to bring in the, re- the reinforcements tonight, didn't we, Jonathan? We sure did, Rick. And who is, who is with us? We have Todd Alexander with us, Rick. Good evening, Todd. Welcome to Christian Questions. Hey, good evening, Rick and Jonathan. It's great to be back with you. So before we get started, Todd, who are you? Uh, Where do you come from? And why are we talking about this? (laughs) Well, I'm in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, For my secular job, I'm an advertising agency salesperson. But uh, my real interest is in reading the Bible and talking about the scriptures and the love that God has for us. And you have been with us several times before. Several, about four or five. Okay, well, we ought to keep building that up because it's a great little resume to, to have behind uh, you know, what we're doing here today. So, so, Todd, this is a really interesting subject. How does God touch your heart? 
And, you know, as I looked through some of your, your, your notes and your thinking on it, it's like, you know, you broke it down to very specific steps, and I never thought of it quite that way. So you are giving us, suggesting a five-step process that the Father uses to draw us to Him. Yes. And we're basing that, or you're basing that on John 6, 44 and 45. So Jonathan, let's go to that scripture, then Todd, just explain how that scripture becomes your basis. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So, uh, Rick, do you see that process there? Uh, well, explain it, because I'm not sure that I see it, so show it to me. Well, it says that Jesus does not come into our life right away. Okay. That there's a work that God does before he sends Jesus to us. And Jesus is calling it that uh, a drawing process. And he's pointing back to the prophets, saying that they shall all be taught of God. Everybody who has both heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So we see an, a, an implied process that at some point God begins drawing us. At another point he sends Jesus to us. And then it just gets exciting from there. Okay, so you, out of that implied process, you actually labeled it as five different specific steps. Yes. Okay, all right, go ahead. And, and I'm following the spiritual senses. We had another program about a right. year ago, or two years ago, about, it was called, How Does Jesus Get You Going? And so these five steps really follow those five spiritual senses that the Apostle Paul talks about in he, Hebrews chapter five fourteen. Okay, so we're going to get into these five steps in just a moment. But first, you also mentioned in your notes that there are four motivations that people have to seek God. Jonathan, just list off what those motivations are. Curiosity, fear, despair, awakening. All right, Todd, just a quick overall description here. We see lots of these examples in the scripture where people have a curiosity. They might be attending one of Jesus' miracles. Uh, they have. They might have fear, where in the sense of Peter was feared when he uh, rejected Jesus. There might be despair when people are going through an emotional breakdown. But then there might be an awakening, and we see that in many times in the scriptures where people have an awakening when they come to Jesus. For instance, the um, blind man that had his eyes open. Okay, so there are these four things. We're going to keep coming back to them with each one of the steps. But you also mentioned there are three reasons that we can potentially turn away from God drawing us to him. And Jonathan, let's go to 1 John 2.16 and read that scripture, then Todd, just some brief comments, and then we got to get started here. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Todd? Yeah, John. Rick, uh, these are three uh, pieces of advice that the Apostle John gave and when he was around 90 years old, so he was very fatherly advice. And he had a lot of experiences, and he could categorize them into those three categories, the lust of the flesh. That's our fleshly desire to grab things and live in the world of scarcity. It's the lust of the eyes, the things that we see, and it's the pride of life, taking a prideful um, position in our stature before mankind. Okay, so those three things can, can, can derail the process, and then there's four motivations that can enhance the process, but the big question is, well, what is the process? So, <laughs> so what's the first step, Todd? What's the first step? The first step is a 
uh, perceiving of the truth. It's a knowledge of God, his sovereignty, his handiwork, and his attributes. Okay. And we see that from looking at his creative work and looking at not only the creative work in the world, but also in our own bodies. Okay. All right. So we're, we need to understand what it means to perceive truth because you're very specific in these things. And, and folks, this is the idea behind this is this is how God draws us according to Scripture. A basis for this, um, this first step, uh, is from, from, you know, it's Hebrews 11.6. Jonathan, let's go to that. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Rick, when we look at the beautiful creative work in the world, what story do we tell about that work? Is it the story that this beautiful home that God, that, that is ours, was created by a loving, just, powerful creator? Or do we make up some other absurd story that is far-fetched? Uh, so do we believe in God? If we are going to come to God, we have to believe that he is and that he will actually reward our efforts of finding him. Okay, so perceiving truth then. Mm-hmm. You have that as the first step. That's kind of like the very, very beginning. With our eyes. Okay, so what you're saying is you are seeing something or observing something that catches your attention. It may not fully sink in yet. Is that what you're saying? It could be the birth of a baby. When our babies were born, uh, it was a marvelous experience. How can you not see a wonderful, just, loving, and powerful God in the birth of your child? Okay. All right. And that's, that's, that's when you want to go to a powerful example, you just nailed that one down. And, and actually, let's go to a scripture that, that backs up all of what you were just saying. So, Jonathan, let's go to Romans chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even they knew God, they did not honor him as God or gave thanks, but they became futations and their foolish heart was darkened. All right, Jonathan, you were breaking up a little bit there, but um, but we did get the scripture out. So Todd, on this Romans 121 scripture, 120 and 21, perceive truth. This is a beautiful logical argument that the Apostle Paul gives us. He's saying, hey, the whole world of mankind can see this beautiful creative work that God gave us. It's called the earth. And the world of mankind should come to the conclusion that there was a just and loving God that created it. But what did they do? They come up with the Apostle Paul in the King James Version or the New American Standard says, futile in their speculations in their foolish heart was darkened. They could not perceive God because they came up with a different story about the facts. They told themselves the wrong story about the facts. All right. And, and you know, it's kind of interesting because those who, who, who doubt God always yes. go to the, to the argument of science. And, and, and when you think about it, science supports a belief in God in a very, very big way. And to not have God behind science is to say that science is all a result of random activity. And if you ever did the math to try to calculate the random activity, the numbers are so big, you can't even begin to fathom, fathoming, taking time to fathom the numbers. 
<laughs> it's amazing because the Apostle Paul is really connecting the dots between the physical world and the spiritual world. And I think that's the idea behind this process. Okay, so perceiving truth then, you're saying, can start with the very basics that any human being can look at and say, wow, there's more to it than this. Yes, absolutely, and that's, that's, the, that's what we're going to see in the next scripture that we're going to read. Okay, and let's go to that next scripture, Matthew chapter 13, verses 16 and 17. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Okay, so the, the, the uh, apostles or the disciples were asking Jesus why he spoke in parables in verse 12. And he said that the, the, the disciples' eyes were actually blessed and their ears were blessed because they could both see and hear. And that the disciples had a more uh, powerful experience with the word of God than the holy men of old, the righteous men of old. They desired to see Jesus' day, but they could not fast forward to see it. All right. So again, here in this particular verse, there is a Jesus is, is explaining why he teaches in parables, and he's basically mm-hmm. saying that I'm giving the people almost an obstacle to their ability to perceive truth. Isn't that right? Yeah, because it is the glory of a king to conceal a matter. It is the honor of men to seek it out. Ooh, I like that very much. That's a proverb. And and that really nails down, again, perceiving truth is something that it just doesn't, you know, when you look at the world and, and, and nature, that's laid out before you. But now if you want to get into more specifics, there are some things you have to look through and look around and and try to, to, to sit down and, and get yourself focused on to be able to yes. really, really see them. Yes, exactly. And we and the next scripture tells us where we have to begin. Okay. And next scripture, Jonathan, Proverbs 23, 26. Give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. Do you see that sense of perception? What God is saying through the, through the wise man here is, number one, we have to give him God our heart. And number two, we have to have our eyes focused on God's work. And that is the basis for our faith. If we don't give God our heart, then we will come up with foolish imaginations because we will be lifted up in our pride. All right, so now giving God our heart, is that something we're actually going to come to in a, in, a, in a big part of our discussion later on? Yes. But the thing that jumps out at me about this scripture is, this, this scripture is let your eyes delight in my ways. And so when you see, if you see a work of art before yes. you that is just, is just magnificent, you stand there and you perceive it with awe and you look at it and, and you try to open up to that work of art. It interests you. You want to pull into it and understand what the artist's meaning was behind that artwork. Right. And so perceiving truth is like perceiving art in a, in a, in a slightly different way. It's something that you want to open up your mind to. So to perceive truth is to say, hey, there is something here. I need to pay more attention. Did you remember what Andrew said to his brother Peter? He says, come and see. We found the Messiah. He used his spiritual sense of sight. He said, we have found the Messiah. That meant that Andrew and Peter were searching for the Messiah. Come and see. Come and And perceive with us. Exactly. And they gave God their heart so that God could work with them. 
Okay, uh, Jonathan, very quickly, one more scripture you want to try to squeeze in before this segment ends. Romans 10, 1 to 4. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Rick, did you see that scripture, the Apostle Paul, that word he said, knowledge? Mm -hmm. So the summary for this first stage would be a knowledge of God, his sovereignty, handiwork, and attributes. Now, this is a group of people that were still living under the law, the law covenant. And because they were under the law covenant, they had a roadblock and they could not move forward. Why? Because they had a zeal for God, but it was not according to knowledge. Okay, so again, and this is just the first step. To perceive is to be able to see and to say, okay, there's something that is appealing. There's something that is attractive. There's something that needs following up on, and that perception captures you. And now you're going to have to do something with it. It's a beginning of your faith. Okay, it's a beginning of your faith. All right, so perceiving truth is... Uh, is one great big introduction to God drawing us. It is. So let's go one step further. The first step is to perceive truth. The second step is to understand truth. What is the difference? Before we turn the page, we wanted to tell you about CQ Rewind. It's a free weekly service provided by our great team of contributors who help the guys prepare for each episode. It's an in-depth look at their research, scripture, and much more, showing you the map of Rick and Jonathan's content journey. Now let's continue finding out the better answers as we ask the better questions. So, so when you think about perceiving spiritual truth about God and his plan, it is an enormous development as the average person will not take the time or have the interest in doing so. So this first step can really indicate to us that God is working, drawing, awakening us to higher things. While this can lead to truly changing us, we cannot progress without understanding. And Jonathan, you mentioned that that is the second step. So Todd, help us to understand understanding. Well, at the first step is uh, the first step in the drawing of God, but the second, and that's the perception of the truth. But the second step, understanding the truth, requires a little more mature thought. It's an understanding of the basic elements of God's divine plan and one's need for salvation. So, so it goes beyond just seeing the handiwork of God and attributing it to an intelligent creator. So, this, go ahead. This, this actually takes it to the next step to understand the basic elements of God's plan and to understand your need for salvation. All right. So to understand that, so then you, you know you perceive that work of art. Understanding wants to go beyond just admiring its beauty. It wants to see how that work of art came to be. Right? It yes. wants to. It wants to get underneath uh, underneath the surface, so to speak. It wants to appreciate the details that you're not going to appreciate at at a glance. And it makes you think of the question, why. Yes. Why? I want to ask why did the artist do this? Why, God, did you design it this way? I think curiosity is one of the four motivations that plays very strongly in this part of the process. 
All right. So curiosity is gonna is gonna drive you to say, I gotta see more more than just just the just the surface, just the perception. I have to get underneath that surface a little bit more. So, all right. Let's let's go to some uh, some scriptures here uh, that will help us to understand understanding. And, and Todd, I really want to get very specific about. Yeah what the difference is between perceiving and understanding. So the first scripture, uh, Jonathan, let's go to Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And and once he reads it, Todd, you're just going to have to fill in a little bit of the context for us. I will. And as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Rick and Jonathan, you might remember this story from your Bible years. And, and, uh, It's the time when the rich young ruler actually approached Jesus. He was in goodly apparel, and he he asked Jesus this fateful question, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So this is, at this point, that rich young ruler recognized Jesus as the Messiah. He said, good teacher, and he also wanted instruction for what he would need to do to to, uh, get eternal life. Now, what did Jesus tell him? He went through the Ten Commandments, and then he said one more thing give all of your possessions to the poor only then will you be able to follow me and what did that rich young ruler do he was very sorry he was very sad his curiosity got him to jesus but his pride of life turned him away he just could not conceptualize a suffering messiah and he could not conceptualize his part in suffering with jesus All right, so now you just said a whole big mouthful there because, you know, we're talking about understanding. And he comes, this rich young man, he comes to Jesus and you you look at him and you hear his words. And, and, you know, in in the Mark account of this, it says that, that Jesus saw him and he loved him. Yes. It says that Jesus appreciated what this young man was all about and saw that he was sincere. So he, this, this young man is looking for real true understanding. And when Jesus gives him something that is too big, like you said, something gets in the way. Yes. And, and I think it's interesting that the, the author of the book of Mark says that Jesus loved him. And I think that they probably noticed Jesus's body language. Interesting. I never would have thought of it that way. It's a big idea. Yeah, it is. And and what it does is it gives you a sense that Jesus was, was keyed in, and he realized that he had a perception. He yes. perceived now, truth. This, Good. This rich young ruler, he was on his way to the third level, but he could not grasp the suffering Messiah. And uh, I think that if you contrast this with Peter's experience, Peter was really at this same stage. But because of Peter's life, because of the suffering and the disappointments that he had in life, it kept him following Jesus. And an interesting stat about this rich young man, he lost all of his possessions within 20 years anyway because of the Roman invasion. So I think when we try to grasp hold of things uh, instead of following Jesus, when uh, when we have the opportunity, we lose, lose, lose all three ways. You know that that's interesting because you're right. The the Roman invasion would have destroyed everything. Never never thought about that before, and mm-hmm. so he is trying to understand after perceiving, and he runs into this huge roadblock. And that happens to a lot of us. It does. What we have, or what we are, or what we have accomplished. We hold on to, and sometimes that takes us away from being able to understand something that could actually be so much better for us in the long run. Rick, do not neglect the power of fear and despair in your life to drive you 
to need God in your life. If this rich young man would have had either of these two things, it surely would have tilted him toward following Jesus. So that's interesting. You're using fear and despair in a very positive sense. You're using them to drive us Amen. To, to, to following, and again, God does the calling, but it drives us to following Jesus, to wanting to understand. So fear and despair can actually be good things if you channel them so they can, that you can find something to feed you as a result of them. Amen. We've heard countless stories of people who come to God and look for Jesus after they've lost a loved one. Right, right, right. And, and you know, that can be a life-changing experience. If yes. they stay with the process, and uh, obviously yeah. there's more to it. All right, let, let's get to another scripture because we got we got a lot we want to cover here. Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter seven, verses twenty four to twenty seven. Jonathan, take us there. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. This is a very powerful metaphor that Jesus actually uses to close up his Sermon on the Mount. What is he doing? Well, he's summarizing all of the 27 points of Christian living that he just gave in the previous three chapters. And what he's talking about is using a metaphor of building your house on a solid rock. That everybody who hears these words of mine and then acts on them will be strong. Now, I think that's the big point. The first step in our faith is the seeing of God. The second point in our faith is the hearing of the truth of God. It's the beginning of our understanding of our need for Jesus and our need for salvation. And that's what you get when you build your house on that rock. Okay, so now I'm starting to get it, I think. So tell me if I'm on the right track. Okay. You, you perceive truth and you're, you're in awe and you look at it and, and there's wonder and there's, there's excitement and all of that. Now, understanding says, okay, I have to do something with that. And that's yeah. why you're, you're using this, this, this picture of building your house on a rock because you can take what you have perceived and you can build it on sand, the sand of your normal everyday life. And inevitably, what you're going to build it doesn't, can't stand. It can't, it can't stay together. It's going to collapse. And I, see, I think we see this every day when we see families building their houses on greed and, and uh, being dishonest. Their families fall apart. Inevitably, they fall apart. So if, if God is drawing someone, Todd, you know, and, and you know, we, we started with that premise that God does the drawing. Yes. God's the one who decides to draw this individual or that. That's what Jesus says. Right. So obviously it's true. So he does the drawing, and he gives us that ability to perceive, but then the, the ability to understand how, it takes a little bit more work. Perceiving, then, it seems like it can happen almost any day under any circumstance. You open you up your eyes and say, wow, look at that. I never noticed that before. Amen. Un- understanding, though, is where you have to start to go to work. And, uh, you know, God uses rainbows in our life to remind us of his covenant, to remind us of, of his sovereignty. And, uh, but we have to take those rainbows and internalize the promises of God and to see 
the beauty that he's fashioning for us in our life. Okay, you see a rainbow, you perceive. You use the rainbow, you understand. As leverage. leverage. Okay, all right. And you look into the scriptures to try to find Jesus. So really what you're saying then is the process to come to God has very specific, clear steps. And if we will follow them, we can get closer to God. And that's an amazing thought when you think about it. It is. Now, the one thing I will caution you is that the sequence is fixed, but the timing is variable. What do you mean? And I will show you, excuse me? No, I said, what do you mean by that? Okay, so um, you remember how uh, the the jailer in the jail where Paul was imprisoned, remember what happened? Uh, All the doors were opened. God miraculously opened all the doors, and Paul did not leave that prison. I always wondered why Paul didn't leave that prison. And and, uh, it was obvious in the continuing story that he had a work to do. He noticed something in the jailer where he was able to be a witness to that jailer, and the jailer in all of his household were baptized within the next three hours. So they went, they sped through all of these processes to get to the point where they wanted to sacrifice their life in following Jesus. So sometimes this process can take years. Sometimes it can take hours. Okay, that's pretty crazy. (laughs) And for most of us, it probably takes some time. Amen. I worked with a guy, he took me over to Egypt He said it took him 30 years to come to the point where he gave his life to Jesus. 30 years of learning. Okay. All right. So the process is custom made for us and we can follow it as best as we are capable of following it. Okay. Let's go to another scripture then uh, in terms of understanding truth, understanding the basic elements of God's divine plan and one's need for salvation. And uh, we're going to go to uh, John chapter 6. Jonathan, let's do verses 5, 6, and verse 14. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world." So, so, the, so this is about the crowd now. You were focusing on the crowd here. So did they understand? That's the question. I think they did. They came to Jesus uh, with their faith. And uh, we understand the miracles that God puts into our life. And I think that's what these people had too. They knew about the prophecies of the Messiah. They saw Jesus actually doing the work, the miracles of the Messiah. So they didn't have to read the scriptures because they already knew the scriptures and the promise of the Messiah, but now they saw the miracle and that was enough. So they wanted to make him king. The very next verse says they wanted to make him king. Now, before just one moment, mm-hmm. um, I, I just want you to think about why Jesus asked Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that everybody may eat? And I'm going to tell you that reason why in a little bit. Okay. All right. Right now. Yeah, okay. Well, well, you know, so so what you're saying then is the crowd had a, an understanding because they yeah. wanted to make him king. So there was a there was a grasping. So in in this in in a similar way, perhaps the rich young ruler. I want to go back to him just for a second. He may yes. have had a level of understanding, and it scared him away. Yes, absolutely. That's a great insight. So understanding can can be a two edged sword then. If, well, the, the rich young ruler was turned away because he had the pride of life. 
these people that were following Jesus, they were so poor, they didn't even bring their food with them. Okay, so now see, that's another interesting point about the understanding is our the context of our life can either feed our understanding to a positive end or it can derail our understanding to a negative end depending on what it is we're trying to hang on to while we're looking toward the understanding. Exactly, and if we look at the work of God in our life with our flesh, we will remember that scripture that says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he slay my flesh, yet will I trust his spirit. Okay, did you want to touch on Philip now? Yes, uh, the next scripture, uh, well, no, let's go, let, we'll touch on him, on him in the next segment. Oh, Just okay. remember, right. why do you think Jesus asked Philip that question? Right, so he said, and it's interesting, because Jesus, he's the worker of all miracles, he's, he's the one who's in control of everything, and he asks Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? So again, that's a really good question, why is he asking Philip that? So, so yeah. Todd, in this segment then, you know, we've got just a couple of minutes here, in this segment, understanding versus perception. Go back and, and lay out, again, what perception is and how understanding is different, how it builds on it, and what the potential dangers are. Okay, the, um, the, we see first see God with our eyes, and then we hear God with our ears. How do we hear God? By reading the scriptures. Why did we read the scriptures? Because our eyes pointed us to those scriptures. Same thing with the people that came to the miracle. Why did they come to that time because with Jesus where he was able to give them the miracle of the feeding it was because they saw Jesus as the potential Messiah and they wanted to see with their eyes and hear with their ears through the performance of that miracle they didn't expect the miracle but they certainly believed him to the point where they wanted him to make him king now I think that there's a really important concept here it reminds me of um, a story that I've heard about two little fish swimming in a lake Okay. They were swimming in a lake, and um, an older, wiser fish was coming at them straight on and passed them. And while that older, wiser fish was passing them, he said to the two little fish, Hey, how's the water? And the, uh, the older, wiser fish swam off, but the two little fish looked at each other in perplexity, and they said, What's water? And <laughs> I think that's how we can get with our faith. If we don't see those rainbows in our life, if we don't attribute them to God, the handiwork of God, then we are going to look at that faith as being commonplace, and we're going to bump out of this funnel of God's drawing. But if we realize that everything that we have in life is a blessing from God in heaven, we're going to realize the power of of our spiritual eyes and our ears, just like Jesus said, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Those were the beginning, the germ of faith that Jesus praised in the disciples. Okay, so you're looking at, and you called it a funnel. So what's happening is funnel gets smaller and smaller and smaller and more concentrated. The perception is at the widest end of the funnel. Understanding is the next step. And without understanding, perception is just an emotional experience. Amen. It's a wonderful thing, and it's an exciting thing, but it's not a transformative thing. To get to the level of transformation, you need to put understanding on top of it. Now, that's not where it stops. That's where it starts, is to have that understanding built upon that, eyes and then ears. Okay, so it looks to me like there's an awful lot to having truth really guide our lives. You're right. Let's put it all in order so we perceive and understand truth. 
Next is discerning truth. There seems to be a lot of similarity here. So bottom line, again, what are the differences? Before we turn the page, we wanted to tell you about CQ Rewind. It's a free weekly service provided by our great team of contributors who help the guys prepare for each episode. It's an in-depth look at their research, scripture, and much more, showing you the map of Rick and Jonathan's content journey. Now let's continue finding out the better answers as we ask the better questions. So this next step toward God's brings us up to a different level of life, this next step. As God has drawn us, we have so far begun noticing things differently and have begun to pay attention to what those differences are. Our noticing and appreciating has led us to a measure of understanding which now puts us in a position to begin to discern truth. So Todd, in your notes you speak of this level, this discerning truth, as, and I'm going to quote what you wrote, being handed to Jesus. What, what do you mean by that? Well, we know that, um, that God is the one that selects us. We know that from the scriptures. We know this from John chapter 17, verse 6, when Jesus, in his prayer to God, he says, I thank you for the men that you have given me. So God is the one that selects us. And at this point, this third out of five steps in our drawing towards God it is the opportunity and the point where we put all of these things together that we've both seen and we've heard, and we see God's provision for atonement and the opportunity for a new life through the blood of Jesus. It requires an earnest heart. Okay, so this step then, you've got perception and understanding. This is discerning truth. So yes. obviously what you're saying is discerning truth is very different than understanding truth yes it's the next step up um when we we let's let's use the metaphor of eating our lunch we see this beautiful food prepared for us but then we smell it with our nose most of us smell our food before we eat it in fact we eat our food with all five of our senses not just our taste and if it doesn't smell right we don't put it in our mouth Okay. So this is the next step of our faith, isn't that powerful? Okay, so so you're so and folks, I I just got what he's doing here. It took me a while, but <laughs> I got it. Okay, you see with your eyes, that's perceive. You understand, that's here. You discern. Now you're smelling, and and when you when you smell it out, you can smell. I smell a rat. You know, you you get that sense of okay, I'm seeing underneath the surface. I'm seeing something bigger, something different. So with these four motivations. Uh, Todd, which ones do you think, you know, curiosity, fear, despair, awakening, which ones do you think play the biggest part in this or does it not matter? Well, I think they all play different parts and it kind of depends. Some of us might actually come across this stage at different different points in our life. Uh, but I'll tell you a quick story of a, of a man who lost his father. His father spent 20 years teaching him about Jesus Christ, and, but he really didn't... Um, uh, discern the truth until he had the fear and despair of losing his father. And only then did he have an awakening. So we can see all three play of those playing a part in this man's revival of faith. And I think that's the way it is. We, we go through these cycles, but every cycle gets us closer to a God and it gets us closer to a full appreciation of the faith that's working in our hearts. All right, so so you get a sense that it doesn't matter. Curiosity, fear, fear, despair, or awakening, all of those things can play a part here, not necessarily one over another. 
Um, and then the three reasons we turn away, they can also get in the way as well. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the, the, the pride of life. And I, and I think that Jesus is gracious, and he'll give us signs along the way. He'll give us helps along the way, experiences in our, the development of our faith. If he sees that we have an earnest heart toward him, he will give us opportunities like ladders, like rungs on a ladder that we can hold on to and climb up. Okay. We're about ready to learn about one of those. Okay. All right. Look, look, Rick and Todd, there's a ton of stuff here. Rick, you talk fast. Todd has all these great stories. How can we ever remember them? Well, a simple way is to go to ChristianQuestions.com and sign up for Seek Your Rewind, the full edition, so it's all written out so that you can remember these nuggets of understanding how God touches our hearts. ChristianQuestions.com. Uh, CQ Rewind, the full edition. Yeah, it's a free service, and we would love for you to try it out. You can also get it through your Christian Questions app on your smartphone. Okay, so so Todd, we're talking about discerning truth. Thank you, Jonathan, for that reminder. It's an important one. Let's go to, um, let, can, can we go back to Philip now? Okay, let's yes. go back to Philip, John chapter 6, verses 5 to 7. So Jonathan, just read those verses again for us, and Todd, tell us why Jesus asks Philip specifically this unusual question. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. Okay, Rick and Jonathan, later in this uh, chapter is when Jesus, so this is after the miracle of the feeding, and all of the people were following Jesus, and he finally, and later on in this chapter, he said, you know, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you really want to follow me. Now, the whole crowd of people left except his disciples. Now, why didn't his disciples leave? I think Philip stayed with Jesus because Jesus asked him this question. And what Jesus was doing when he asked Philip this question where are we to buy bread so that these may eat and then do the miracle afterwards? So it, it created a question in, in Philip's mind. He says, well, why did Jesus ask me that question if he was going to do this miracle anyway? Right. The answer is Jesus was buying the benefit of the doubt in Philip's heart because he was going to need it in about 40 more verses. And when Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Philip said to himself, well, you know what? I, I'm going I'm to give Jesus the benefit of the doubt here because he, he is, I know he's the Messiah. So what Jesus did with that question, he bought the benefit of the doubt. It's the same thing that Jesus did when he spoke to the woman of Samaria and the disciples came up on him and says, you know, they didn't actually question Jesus because they were too afraid. But what he was doing was buying the benefit of the doubt with his disciples for later. So when we talk about discernment, what you're saying is discernment comes into play when there is a doubt, when there, the potential for turning off or turning away is really great, and discernment helps you smell your way to the right answer. And Jesus gave Philip that a little bit extra to work with. So when he made a statement that was so dramatic, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, look, folks, that wasn't literal. But, you know, he, he made that statement and Philip had something to work on so he could smell genuine spirituality rather than a, a ridiculous statement. 
He knew how to discern the truth from fiction. Okay. Right? That's the point. Okay, so discernment now is built upon understanding because understanding is getting beneath the surface and discernment is now putting things in the places where they belong. And this is what the rich young ruler could not do. He could not get to this level. He did not get to this level. Okay, all right, okay, all right. I'm starting to get this now. So God draws us by perception, by understanding, and then by discernment. I'd like to read just a quick summary of this step. It's putting it all together and seeing God's provision for atonement in a new life through the blood of Jesus. It requires an earnest heart. Do you see the next step in our faith? Okay, so, and, and when you say it requires an earnest heart, so discernment isn't going to happen unless your heart is in the right place. There's a struggle. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Hebrews? It says, you have to diligently seek him, and if you do, God will reward you. Okay, all right, let's go to the next scripture then. Matthew 16, verses 16 through 17, because here is a real great example of that earnest heart, I think, that you're, you're talking about here. Go ahead, Jonathan. Simon, Simon Peter. Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Okay, so I think that at this stage, Peter uh, had made a very forceful declarative statement about Jesus as being the Messiah. Peter discerned the truth of Jesus. And this kept him from leaving Jesus during that fateful time when Jesus made that very provocative statement. Peter had a fully formed faith, and this is the vision of faith that Philip lacked when he was interacting with Jesus before the feeding. So Jesus bought the benefit of the doubt in the disciples, and this was a missing piece of the puzzle in the development of their faith. This was a missing piece in the puzzle of the people that were believing in the law covenant. They could not get out of the law covenant to recognize Jesus. Okay, so so again, discernment plays this huge role, especially for the Jewish individual who is looking to follow Jesus, because there are some things that you're going to have to leave behind that were very, very, very clear and important to you, and you've got to have the discernment to be able to make that leap, like you say, to buy the benefit of the doubt. Yes. And through the miracles and his teachings, that's how he did it. All yes. right. Okay. Now let, let's let's make this a little bit more uh, more more interesting here. Let's go to that statement that you're talking about. The, the, the context of the statement about you know Jesus sort of chasing away his followers. So we're going to look at John chapter six, six verses sixty to sixty six, and then we're going to look at sixty six to sixty nine and compare the two because there are two separate responses here. And Todd, you can just help us understand how discernment plays a positive role or gets missed in both of these. Very good. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. 
As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Okay, let's pause right there. Todd, what happened to the crowds as a result of this, this statement, and how do we fit into our conversation on discernment? Well, quite simply, the crowd was looking at Jesus through fleshly eyes. They did not make that leap to discern Jesus as the atonement and the opportunity for a new life through his blood. And that's what the disciples did. Peter recognized him as the Messiah. Philip gave him the benefit of the doubt. And the other disciples follow suit. Now, it is interesting here that Jesus made this provocative statement. We might think, you know, why doesn't Jesus just open up a big a big arms and invite everybody? Right, right. Why? And I think this is a perfect example of how he was actually turning people away. Why? Because they didn't come with him with the right heart attitude. And they didn't come with him to him in the proper discernment of the truth that he was the Messiah. And when Jesus says to his disciples, hey, are you going to leave too? Simon, the impetuous one, the one that took initiative said, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And there's actually a prophecy that talks about this in the Old Testament that points to Jesus or the Messiah as the one that would have the words of eternal life. So this very statement is a prophetic marker that Peter was discerning that Jesus was that Messiah. So this essentially then, and you've you've kind of covered, instead of reading, you've covered verses 66 to 69. Yes. Um, this, this, um, this experience then was a test to make sure that their discernment was on target, that they could smell genuine truth, that they could smell spirituality so that they knew it was good and it would be good for them. And yeah. I ahead. think all of us who are mature Christians realize that our faith has been tested. It's been tested through lots of different struggles. And I think just like Joseph in prison, uh, what he shows us through uh, exercising the principles of righteousness through extreme injustice in a difficult experience, that his victory would only come through his struggle with using righteous principles in a, uh, a worldly atmosphere. And that's what we need to learn in our life. And that's what Jesus was doing. Okay, just a quick side question. So do you think, and I don't know if there's an answer to this or not, but let me just throw the question out. Do you think that this is where a lot of people who may be drawn by God get sidetracked, is going from understanding to discernment? Do you think that that's a a bigger area of difficulty, or are some things that we're going to be touching on even bigger than that? No, I I do think that this is a a place where a lot of people opt out. Okay. they don't look with fleshly they don't look at it with spiritual eyes now i think it's important to realize that this is the time when jesus is sent to us from god okay this is the time when jesus is sent to us that, so that we can opt into him as the atonement all right so there is got to be that response then of being able to put it all together and say, I'm I'm on with this. I'm following this. I'm not letting this go. Let's go to another scripture that actually shows that. Acts 17, verses 32 to 34. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, We shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Among those were Dionysus and Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So this is a beautiful experience that the Apostle Paul had 
uh, much later after Jesus died, he went to Mars Hill and he saw all of these idols to all of their gods. They were a polytheistic society. And he saw these idols to the gods and he saw one idol that says uh, to the unknown God. And then he says, him you, who you ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you. So he went through and peeled off the whole plan of God right in front of them. And two people believed, uh, Danishish and Damaris, they believed. So I think the point here is that they were able to speed through the first three steps. And I think the point for us here is that these two people were living in a culture just like we have today. They lived in a culture of Rome where pleasure was the end goal. And Paul began speaking about the very purpose of life. And this testimony from Paul provided a rich contrast. It's the same as our culture today. And I think we should take from this the opportunity to use rich declarative statements in all of our witnessing opportunities. Okay, so the rich declarative statements. Sounds like you're teaching. <laughs> but so, Todd, let me just ask you, we're almost out of time for this segment. Just a very quick question. Does discernment open the door to contentment? Absolutely, because we have to labor to enter into his rest. Remember that scripture? Yes. What is that rest? It's a rest of our understanding of the truth of God and his prophetic workings in our world today. Yes, discernment leads us to rest. All right, so contentment, you know, you, that's that emotional response that you can really build upon and, and have something, something very valuable through this discernment. So, look, it's pretty clear that God wants us uh, to know and draws us to him with truth. True. So, what's next? Perceiving, understanding, and discerning truth are big steps. What kind of action do these steps provoke us to take? Every episode, we cover a lot of ground. Part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com, through all our social media channels, and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together. So being in Jesus' hands and learning to discern truth has been a from-the-outside-in kind of experience, and we're now beginning to see the brightness of the gospel light. So being drawn to God by this warm and powerful light can trigger a significant change in us, and the next step on our journey towards God is a from-the-inside-out kind of step. So Todd, what is this next step, the fourth step, and why is it different? Well, that's a great question, Rick. I, I think the scriptures indicate that this is where our emotions come in. Uh, there's an emotional component here where the first three steps were really a rational uh, component. They were, um, this, this fourth step is our intent with desire to serve and please God. It has both commingled a rational and emotional component. It includes repentance and our faith in the blood of Jesus. Quite simply, it's our rational and emotional response to God's love and blessing in our life. All right, so a rational and emotional response. So you're mixing the two, and really this this step to the desire to serve God 
is not just merely a thought process that you come to a logical conclusion, but if you have a true desire to serve God, that conclusion has to be thoroughly accepted and supported by your heart as well. So Absolutely. God, the, the heart comes into play, and it, it's a powerful thing, because remember uh, the scripture says, my son, give me thine heart. Well, God makes himself available to us, and through our perception, our understanding, and our discernment of the truth. Okay, so wait, wait, wait. Perception, sight. Yes. Understanding is yes. hearing. Yep. Discernment is smell. Exactly. And now we can reach out and grab the truth with desire. Remember what the Apostle Paul said? He said, lay hold on salvation. Okay. Bring it close to you. It says, he says, the love of Christ constraineth us. It reaches out and holds us close in the loving arms of Jesus. So that's touch. You, you touch the truth, and it touches you. And it touches you not just in your head, but in your heart as well. And, that's the title of your segment, How Does God Touch Your Heart? Yeah, and, and so so to, for God to touch your heart then has to go through all those previous steps because otherwise your heart's not ready. I mean, that's really what you're saying here, right? Right. So there's both components here, and they work equally strong. So this really sounds to me like the, one of the four motivations. The one that jumps out at me is the, is the awakening. There's this awakening that says, I have to have myself intertwined with this. I have to touch it. I have to have it touch me. So This came in my life, Rick, when I was about 34 years old. It came right between the eyes when I had to do some real hard struggling with the power of the Holy Spirit and God's work in my life. That's where this uh, desire to serve God really gained momentum in my personal experience. And your experience after that was very different than your experience before that, wasn't it? It really was, and it, it was an anchor to my faith that uh, I just cannot do without. And so the, the, uh, the desire to serve God, the touching of what the plan of God is for you and, and, and the part that you can play. Let, let's get to some scriptures to back this up. Hebrews 1.9, Jonathan. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. Rick, did you notice the emotional component here? Loving righteousness and hating lawlessness. Those two things are required for repentance in the proper following of Jesus. He said, if any man follow me, he needs to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow with and follow me. So it requires both. All right, and 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 again, this desire to serve God, you it, it you love and you hate. You love the right things. You hate the things that are bad. Yes. And because of that, because you are emotionally engaged, based on your mind being drawn from perception to understanding to discernment, now you are you are like a, it's like a full body, a full a full being rather, a full being experience here to be able to move forward and to now say, look, I owe something back for what I have been given, what I've been able to 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 see and to hear and to smell. I can now touch it and I owe something. Now, the wisdom as an evangelist that you are, Rick, you can use this as leverage in your ministry because if a person really doesn't understand the truth, then they're never going to get to this point. So don't try to feed their desire when they don't have it. Right. You, 
they need to learn the truth before they can go to this point. And, and, and folks, that's an important factor here. And, and you know, if, if, if the horse is not ready to drink water, you can lead him all you want, but he's not going to drink. Can I say something? Yes, you Psalm can. Psalm 23, what does it say? He leadeth me beside still waters. It doesn't say he makes me drink from still waters. It doesn't say he sticks my head in the water and says, drink. He so just the, brings the, me uh, there. The lesson is you can lead a sheep to water, but you can't make him drink. <laughs> All right, there you go. All right, all right, let's go to another scripture now. Let, let's build on this thing. Acts chapter 3, verses 2 through 9. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed their gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With the leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Rick, do you see touch in this scripture? Yes. What did, what did Peter do? He, number one, he said in the name of Jesus Christ. So he did not use his own name. He said in the name of Jesus Christ, he seized him by the right hand. And that man grabbed Peter's right hand and stood up. Now, the significance of this is that this is a picture of the healing of the world of mankind. How does it happen? It happens through touch. It happens through the name of Jesus Christ. And we are able to walk and have rise up in faith, not in the lust of the flesh, not in the pride of life, not in the lust of our eyes, but we are able to have that awakening. We can rise up and our ankles of, will be strong. We can stand before God in the blood of Jesus and we can begin to walk in his light. So this, this, this addition of touch, this addition of this desire to serve God, you know, we talked about discernment being a place where a lot of individuals end up not following through. But now this, this you know, you, you, you talked about these five steps as being a funnel, and, it, and you can definitely see how it gets more and more narrow as we go through this, because now we're at a point where a desire to serve God uh, it implies that I'm leaving other things behind that were once important, and I am I want to change the way my life works somewhat here. So this is a tough step to take, isn't it? Yeah, it's it it really uh, focuses it our it congeals our intent and our desire. It's that rational and emotional component. It brings them together. It results in our repentance, and it's our rational and emotional response to God's love and blessing. So again, you keep repeating rational and emotional. So, and, and again, that's such an important thing because folks, as, as maybe in your life, you're feeling drawn to God and maybe you're going through the process that we're talking about, but it is not just emotion. And, and Jonathan, we talk about this all the time with, with a lot of Christian organizations, they're built purely on this emotional, uh, fanatical sense of euphoria. And, and Todd, what you're saying here is nothing even remotely close to that. 
No, it's not. And there might have been euphoria in the early stages of people's faith when they saw the miracles of Jesus, but he brought them based upon the he brought them farther based upon their willingness to participate in his suffering. All right. So so Jonathan, let's go to another scripture again. Another scripture in relation to the miracles that we're talking about. John chapter 5 verses 12 to 15. They asked him, "Who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk?" But the man who was healed did not know who he was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Do you see where Jesus found this man? He found him in the temple. Now, what does that mean? Well, this man was healed by Jesus. He didn't know who healed him. So what did he do? He desired God. He went to the temple, and that's where Jesus found him. He found him in the temple. And I think that's what happens when we are healed by Jesus. We want to go to the temple. Now let's take a look at another experience. To remember when uh, uh, when Peter denied Jesus and he realized his sin, what did he do? He went back to the fishing business, and the other disciples followed him. Why did he go back to the fishing business? Well, he couldn't go to the temple and ask for forgiveness because he would have been thrown in jail and beheaded. But what did he do? He went back to the fishing business until Jesus told him where to go. He said, meet me in Jerusalem. So I think as we have desire for God, we go to him and we learn from him. What is the next step? What do you want me to do? All right, so now that desire to to serve God comes as a result of God drawing us. Remember, yes. he starts this process with, yes. with the perception first, with the understanding next, with the discernment, you know, smelling it out, and now touching it and having that, that rational and emotional response that says, this is so, so good. This is so much bigger than my life ever could have been before. I need to do something about this. And, you know, this, this guy that was healed by Peter and John, he was looking for healing from at the temple, but um, was Jesus there? No, but Jesus's representatives were there. I think that's a big idea that when God sends Jesus to people, sometimes it's in the form of one, one of Jesus's representatives. And so it doesn't diminish the process at all. Right. right. What it does is it enhances the process because now you know that God can work through all kinds of different things. And, and that discernment that we have a work to do. Right, right. And that discernment can really feed this desire. Let's go, let's go to another very dramatic desire to, to see if we can finish off this segment. We've got about five minutes for this segment. Uh, and this is a, I think you had, you had um, uh, alluded to this before, Todd. Acts 16, uh, verses 27 to 34. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in their house. And he took them that very hour of that night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, 
having believed in God with his whole household. Do you see the emotional uh, desire to kill himself and then his emotional inflection point to follow Jesus through the words of the Apostle Paul? I think that, as we said earlier, we wondered why Paul did not escape from prison. It was because he saw something important in this jailer. He saw faith that he could uh, nurture. Now, I think the important couple of important points. Paul was go- decided to deny his flesh to do with the work of the ministry. He was going to deny his flesh and not leave any one of us. I would have left that prison. <laughs> I would not have had the insight that the Apostle Paul did. But I think what we see here is the amazing power of the Apostle Paul, his desire to serve God, his desire to be Jesus' representative in the life of this jailer, and his jailer's family. Why did he like this jailer so much? I think it was because the Apostle Paul could see himself as that guy who imprisoned the Jews when he was the Saul of Tarsus. So I think this is a template for countless possibilities that we can pull people's people closer to God through their desire to serve and please our Heavenly Father. You know, and, and one of the things about the jailer that, that impresses me is, you know, you said earlier when you were alluding to this experience, you said, you know, Paul noticed something about him. So Paul saw him discerning a little bit more than the average person. Paul saw him smelling out the truth. And so when this great miracle happened and everybody could have run away and he was despairing for his very life, Paul was there to, to, to take on that despair and say, don't worry, we're still here. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I think that it's important, exactly, Rick, and I think it's important that we can see this transition. If we can see this transition of faith in, in people's mind, this transition between the intellectual point of their faith and a desire to serve Jesus, I think this is what the Apostle Paul noted in this jailer. It's what happened with Lydia when she went to the place where prayer was wont to be made, when the Apostle Paul actually sought her out. What happened? The same thing. She was baptized, and her household was baptized. And we actually reach out, just like that man that was healed, who reached out to God with desire and went to the temple. It's the only thing he could do. And I think they all desired Jesus. They were seeking Jesus, even though they did not know him. And I think that it's beautiful to see how God is revealing himself to helping people along their spiritual path. All right. So, again, I want to use that illustration of the funnel. And, folks, Seek Your Rewind, the full edition, is going to have a picture of this funnel and how all of these steps work together. So, if you are not uh, subscribing to Seek Your Rewind, the full edition, what are you waiting for? It's a free service. You've got to see this to be able to really, really get it. It's going to have all the scriptures and the pieces of the funnel and, and, and watch the path that God has laid out to draw you to him so he can touch your heart. And this desire point comes where, and you said something very interesting. You said there was nothing else he could do. Amen. And that is a powerful, powerful tool. When you get to the point of desire where you look at your circumstances and what's happening and what has happened and you weigh it all out and you think, there's nothing else I can do. You know, and, and for him it was, baptize me now, me and my family. Yes. Same thing with Philip and the eunuch. Remember, the eunuch right, says, right. Philip says, how readest thou? And the eunuch says, how do I know what I'm reading until somebody explains it to me? Right, right. So, God drawing us and touching our hearts and minds is such a profound experience. 
It is profound, but to what end? God has drawn us with knowledge and desire. Where he is drawing us to, what does he really want? We're uncovering the truth scripture by scripture while gathering information from across today's media landscape with our vast CQ team of contributors. We want to hear from you, our listeners, for more contribution to our conversations. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or message us through the Christian Questions app and our producers may read your comments over the air. Let's continue working through our topic with all our tools. We're reviewing the evidence. Now let's put it together. So our first three steps were from the outside in. Steps as they were steps that we were given truth to perceive, to understand, and to discern. Then we went on to a from the inside out step of personal desire to give back, to serve God, to serve his plan. Now this last step contains both approaches as we sacrifice our wills, a from the inside out experience and receive a from the outside in transformation. So Todd, what does this look like? What is this last step and why, why is it the last step? Well, this is the opportunity for us to sacrifice our lives to God through the blood of Jesus Christ and be transformed. The renewing of our mind, the renewing of our character. It's the point in our Christian experience where we enjoy the blood of forgiveness. We consecrate or devote our life to God and we receive the Holy Spirit, which guides us into all truth. We truly have the opportunity to live in the light of salvation and we have the opportunity to be sanctified by the finger of God, which means being set apart for a holy purpose. All right, so wait, I, I just want to want to get some clarification on one of the things you just said, because you were talking about it, and in, it's at this fifth stage that you're talking about God's Spirit coming and, and resting upon us. Now, yes. in a lot of Christian circles— there's a sense that well god's spirit you know comes like right away you 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 acknowledge jesus and god's spirit is there so you're saying that it takes a whole lot more to get god's spirit to to dwell within you well i think peter is a perfect example of that you know he didn't have the holy spirit until pentecost and he was following jesus for three and a half years but even after jesus died and paid the ransom sacrifice put the blood in in deposit he didn't get the holy spirit until Pentecost, which was 50 days later. And that's when he started his fabulous ministry and started converting people towards the Lord. All right. So this is a process. And like you said, it's a defined process, but the timing on the process is up for grabs depending on the circumstances and the person's individual background and the right. present circumstances and their present openness. Uh, you know, I, I've known some some Christians who who have come to, to come to Christ in a big, big way, and but were on their way for years and years and years. And you'd mentioned some examples, you know, yourself along those lines. So I think the par- parable that Jesus said about the seeds, you know, some of it falls on the good ground, some of it falls on the on the side of the road and it gets burned up in the in the light of the sun so we need to make sure that we not only have the good ground for that seed to grow and flourish but that we look for that good ground in our targets for faith so go ahead jonathan and rick right now this week there's a bible camp going on with young people and it actually can begin at a very young age when their hearts are touched from god that's right 
That's right. And, and, you know, for me, that's really what, what happened. And, you know, for me, my heart was touched when I was very young, and it developed over time, over several years. And uh, so, so you're right. And, and that, that experience, that, that young people's experience is important because you want to help them perceive and understand and come to some, even on an immature level, some level of discernment so they can say, wow, God is important for my life. Now, as a child, there's not a whole lot, you know, to necessarily to do at that point. You've got to grow up and become mature. But still, to plant those seeds is such a, a, an incredibly important part of, of life. And, and Jonathan, you know that's kind of where I got my start in terms of, I do. <laughs> of being a communicator on spiritual things. That's for sure, because you were often a director of that camp. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> years and years. Yeah, and uh, a transformative experience for me. And, and folks, actually, check out the video on ChristianQuestions.com on the right side about how Christian Questions got started. It's an interview with Jonathan and myself uh, in terms of just showing the history behind it, and that, that camp experience comes out in that video. So check that out. We'd love for you to, to watch that. Let's go to a scripture now about this sacrifice and transformation, how it works, what it requires. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Rick, I think that the Apostle Paul knew better than anybody that this was a reasonable service to giving his life to God. That was the rational component. He was a wonderful logician. But he also understood the living sacrifice component, and that's the emotional component where we actually go through an an opportunity to sacrifice things that are pleasing to our flesh, but they are not helpful to the development of our new creature. Now, The Apostle Paul spent a couple of years in the Arabian desert after he uh, accepted Jesus. And what was he doing there? Well, I think he was coming to grips with his sin of persecuting the church. I think he was going through great despair. I think he was experiencing deep regret. And I think that he was developing that liability of his sin into an asset for his great faith and his powerful ministry. So what is the lesson for us? I think we can learn that even if we have great sin in our past, it can lead to definitely despair. It can lead to fear, but repentance leads to our awakening. Repentance led to the Apostle Paul's awakening, and repentance led him to emphasize the body of Christ in his ministry, which he persecuted as Saul of Tarsus. So he wouldn't have gotten to the point of that repentance had he not had the fear, had he not had the despair, had he not been given the time to work through it. Because that's a, that's a, that's a very important part of this. The Apostle Paul didn't get get uh, converted, then the next day he wasn't out there you know, establishing churches. He spent time, like you said, working on becoming ready for that transformation to to actually put it in 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 practice on a daily basis in our awakening our awakening just like Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus he went through a great awakening but our awakening will result in a clear vision of Jesus and that will revitalize our life 
if we let it, if we keep the lust of the flesh out, if we keep the lust of our eyes out, if we do not frame our faith through the pride of life. There's a lot of ifs there. Jonathan, go ahead. So what sense is related to this fifth step? All right, Todd. It's the sense of taste. Remember what David said? He said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's that taste. It's that experience. It's that that, uh, rich indwelling of the Holy Spirit that results in sacrifice and transformation. So taste is the, the most committed of all of those senses because you're ingesting everything else you know you've 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 seen it you've heard it you've smelled it you've touched it but when you taste it it is becoming a part of you and that's a a great great analogy for putting things in perspective taste that the lord is good commit yourself to making his word literally the energy for your life and that tasting also has to do with energizing Uh, your faith through the miracles of Jesus in your life, because those miracles, at least in my life, will come fast, and I cannot take them for granted. All right, so now, now that we're talking about the way God works in our lives, He gives us tools to work with. He gives us the ability to cope with all of the things that come our way. Let's go to another scripture that verifies this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Uh, Rick, do we, quote, do we claim these promises in our prayers enough? When we look back on the experiences of the men and women of faith in the Old Testament, do we look at their life and secure see how God led them and took care of them, how he intervened in their life in a miraculous way. Do we claim those promises? For instance, Joshua, where God says, I will be with thee whithersoever thou goest. These precious promises are given to secure our faith, and we must claim them in prayer and expect God to fulfill them in our life. All right, now see, to claim them, what you're saying means to taste them. Amen. To make them a part of you. And if we don't make them a part, if they are just simply an intellectual, yes, I see that God will take care of me, it's not going to change you. And, and, and this, this step, Todd, you're talking about is sacrifice and transformation with an emphasis. Well, you got to emphasize both. you got to emphasize sacrifice. But transformation, something changes that can't change back when the butterfly becomes a butterfly it can't go back to being a caterpillar it's a great metaphor it is you are changed and you are now absolutely positively different transformation and and todd this is the bottom of the funnel this is there all along the way there have been those who give up on the process or can't follow through on the process or, 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 or don't feel strong enough or are distracted or whatever it is. But here, this is where it's like, okay, you're, you're in for life, now go, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we do have the warnings of our adversary. It says in First Peter, second, first Peter 5, 8, your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour. And we have to be careful that we keep our faith fixed on the heavenly vision and we go through that transformation process that we are 
fully committed emotionally as a living sacrifice that is walking in the light of the gospel. All right, so what you're saying then is even when we get to this point of transformation and sacrifice, you still have to be, be beware. Vigilant. We have to be vigilant because uh, there's opportunities for struggle and victory, just like Joseph in prison. He had all kinds of opportunities for struggle where he applied the principles of righteousness, and he taught us that victory only comes through struggle. All right. And, and folks, get that and understand that statement. Victory only comes through struggle. And struggle only comes as a result of perceiving and understanding and discerning and the desire to serve God and then bringing us to this point of sacrifice and transformation. So there is – now God has drawn us. God has drawn us this whole way. It's his it's his plan that if we can follow through on it, he's going to support us. Now let's go to another scripture that gives us the clarity of that support. Jonathan, let's go to Romans 8:28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, Rick, I think that what we can do with this scripture is we can make sure that we trust God and Jesus to solve all of our problems. You remember when Philip was, Jesus asked Philip that question, Philip says, we don't have enough money. Well, I think we need to trust God to solve all of our problems. Let's watch Jesus do that miraculous feeding in our life. Let's follow the direction of the Apostle Paul and give ourselves a living sacrifice, but also make sure that we ingest the truth so that we are transformed through the sanctifying power of God. Our Christian growth must result in a mature faith that at the end of our life, like the Apostle Peter, like the Apostle John, we can reflect back and we can put the emphasis on the right points of faith for those who would follow Jesus. All right, so when you're saying let's watch and you know and, and let God draw us through our, our issues, doesn't mean we sit back and do nothing. We still have to do our work and do our part and put our efforts out. But it's in, in relation to putting our efforts out using Jesus as a template where when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That's sacrifice. That's transformation. That's how we can see the mighty hand of God overruling in our life. Let's not forget that the only way that the disciples were able to discern that Jesus was the Messiah was by watching him do the work and then measuring it against the prophetic promises of the Messiah. Right. Must do the same thing in following Jesus' footsteps. Okay, one more scripture. We're almost out of time. Jonathan, let's go to 2 Peter 1, 8 through 10. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Rick, this is a wonderful bookend to our, our lesson today because it uses that word diligent again. Remember, if we diligently seek him in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9, that, that uh, we will find him if we did, and he will reward our efforts to find him. Now, this 
happens to be a beautiful pastoral promise from the Apostle Peter. And earlier in Peter's life, we think of him as bumbling through his relationship with Jesus. But if we look closely, we can see that his faith was developed in a customly fit, fitted opportunities for difficulties and struggles. Jesus promised him that he gave him a new name as a little stone. He also gave him the keys to the kingdom, which is salvation to the Jews and to the Gentiles. He gave him rich experiences and the vision of on the t- rooftop. He gave him the opportunity to go to Cornelius's house against all of his doubts and, and uh, questions. And uh, Peter performed. Peter jumped. He did the work. He stayed under the sanctifying power of God, and we can too. Okay, so Todd, we are about out of time. I'm going to give you one minute to bring this all together. Okay, thank you, Rick. So what are the benefits of knowing the process of God's drawing? Well, number one, we can feel secure in our faith. But number two, we can know the necessary steps for our children to get to the point where God calls them. We cannot infuse desire for God into their hearts until we teach them the truth. That's what the lesson of perception and understanding does for us. That's what they do for our children. So what's the advice for children? Learn as much as you can. Remember the fifth commandment, which is honor your father and your mother. Remember to love God. Remember that your love for God will be shown through your love for your brothers. Be obedient. Always speak the truth. And look at our families and look at our lives. All right. Todd, we're we're, we're about out of time here. I want to thank you for being with us here uh, tonight. Very, very important, powerful message of the five steps that God uses to draw us to Him. And each of those steps builds something bigger and stronger, and it becomes not only intellectual, but it becomes emotional, and the two work together to bring us to a point of sacrifice and transformation. Todd, thanks so much. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, Jonathan. Folks, well, we hope you've enjoyed being with us uh, today. We certainly have enjoyed being with you talking about what God does, what his plan is for us to bring us to him. Please think about it. And folks, remember, we love hearing from you, our listeners. Let us know what you thought about today's topic. Suggest future topics. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com. Make sure to download our app. Search Christian Questions in your app store. We'll be back again next week with another subject. But again, until then, think about it.